What's up, Chapel family, and happy holidays to all you guys. We were out last week, spent time with family and friends in Nashville. I uh, got to worship at a great church called Long Hollow Baptist. Pastor Anthony did an amazing job last week. Give him a big round of applause. He's such a, a gift to this church and this body. Um, it's been a, a wild couple weeks um, just for Chapel family. So I guess you didn't know that we've had a, had a couple of deaths. And through death, it's amazing to see just the power of community. So a couple weeks ago, uh, Greg Springer passed away, and just want to honor Dee Simmons. Dee was there before I even got there, and just loved on Teresa and their family, and just showed the power of friendship, the power of love, the power of community. And then also just seeing some of the other things. If you'll throw that picture up of Miss Lily Ferris. Miss Lily Ferris, some of you, you guys know, she's right there at the very end. Uh, she's an amazing woman of God. She's been coming here a couple years uh, she passed away and went with me to the Lord, uh, I think last Friday, mor- Saturday morning, Friday night-ish, and her family's not planning on doing a funeral. So I just want to honor her publicly. Uh, you don't know this, but years ago, she served on the prayer line for Lester Summerall. And Lester Summerall, to me, is one of the great fathers of the faith and the spirit-filled movement uh, in, in the 1900s. Great man of God. She served there. She served here faithfully as a greeter. She greeted many of you. She served at adopt block When COVID happened, she was still here every single time the doors were open. She says, I'll, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in the house of the Lord. And that was just kind of her mentality. Um, and she is with Jesus today. We just want to celebrate and honor her. And I also want to honor uh, Chiquita Mead. Chiquita Mead is an amazing woman at our church. And God had just connected her and Lily together. And Chiquita called her, because Lily's a widow, Chiquita called her every single day since 2016. Every day called her, talked to her, encouraged her, loved her. When she was in the hospital, it was Chiquita that was there, and Chiquita's just been pastoring and loving that family so incredibly well. So I just want to say thank you, uh, one, to this amazing family that we have here, this community, but also encourage you, if you're not connected to the community, this is a great community to be a part of. You don't want to have to depend on it when, when the time comes. You want to enjoy the blessings of community uh, all the days of your life. So uh, it's been a, a wild couple weeks. We are in the middle of Christmas season, and that means Advent. So if you're thinking last week, Pastor Anthony hit on hope. Today I'm going to talk about peace. We'll talk about joy next week. Then we have our huge chapel family Christmas celebration on the 19th, and then Christmas Eve candlelight communion service on the 24th, as always. So a lot of good stuff going on. If you have Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 6. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about peace today, and most researchers, statisticians will tell us that Christmas is, you know, not just the most wonderful time of the year, but also the most stressful time of the year. Some of that is you're trying to figure out which gifts to get your kids or your friends or your family. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's you know you have to deal with those family members that you've been pushing off for 360 days. And now you have to deal with all your family junk. And so there comes a lot of stress and kind of lose peace and anxiety kind of cranks up. And I think one of the, the great detriments uh, in Christianity is many of the things of God we think we get when we get to heaven. We think, you know, we get peace when we get to heaven. We get joy when we get to heaven. We get, you know, hope when we get to heaven. We'll get healing when we get to heaven. Uh, and it's a really bad theology because the kingdom of heaven is now and later. And so we keep thinking, well, you know, I'll get peace when I get to heaven. Who remembers the days of layaway? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Before you could get a credit card just by signing your name. Before Amazon, where you could just be taking, a, you know, number two in the bathroom and order all your Christmas stuff all at one time, there was a thing called layaway. 
You actually had to go to the store to buy items. Stop judging me, woman. (laughs) Y'all all all do it. You had to actually go to the store to get your items, right? So there's a limited inventory, and so if there was something you wanted but you didn't have the money for, you could pick up that item, take it way back to the back of the store, put a down payment on it, make some payments that you couldn't pay online. You had to actually go back to the store to make some installment payments. And when you had paid it in full, then you could take your item home and deliver it to your people for Christmas. I think in a lot of ways in Christianity, we think the gospel is the blessings are on layaway. That you come to church, maybe you give your life to Jesus, that's the down payment, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some installments throughout the year as I serve you, as you know, I give my offering, as I maybe serve in church, as I'm faithful to you. I'll make these installments, and if I make enough installments, maybe when I die, I'll get what I had on layaway, on that top shelf, off in the yonder high sky. I can get my blessings down. I can get my peace down. I can get my joy down. I can get my hope down. I can get my love down. I can get my healing down. Finally, and I think for so many of us, we think of the things of God as I'll get it later. If I'm good now, I'll get it later. Let me tell you, it is not on layaway. The blessings of God have been paid in full. They are not sitting on a shelf in layaway. They are yours for the taking. Jesus paid off the debt. It's not a credit card. He paid off the balance. He paid off everything you owe, and he's giving it for you to receive. And that's what Christmas is all about. The the Hebrews were waiting for the blessings of God to come. And Jesus showed up. He said, here it is. He said, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is on the inside of you. And he said, it's up for you to receive it. Judges chapter 6 is an incredible story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of Gideon. And he's in the presence of peace, but yet he doesn't have peace. And I think for some of us, we, we can be in the presence of of peace or the presence of God and not receive what the presence of God brings. So I'm going to start with uh, verse 11. It says this. Now the angel, everybody say the. The angel of the Lord. I want you to circle that in your Bible every time you see it. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth at Ophrah. Not Oprah, but Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if God is real, if God is good, if God is true to what he said, if the Lord is with us, then why? Big word we all use. Then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And behold, he said again, this is Gideon speaking, behold, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, 
Then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not part, depart from here until I come to you and bring my present and set it before you. The CSB says, and bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. Now this is coming from a man who is literally just in a hole in the ground in a wine press trying to thresh out some wheat to make a little bit of bread. So this is all he has left in the house. Talk about the songs we're singing. This is all he had left. He's emptying out his bank account. He's emptying out his cabinet, his pantry, his refrigerator, his freezer to lay this down at the feet of Jesus. He put the meat in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. He brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And now the angel of of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel, the angel of the Lord, reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Now it said the angel of the Lord like six times in this scripture. Now Gideon finally gets it. Then Gideon perceived this was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Everybody say peace. It sounds exactly like what Jesus said after he's resurrected and he encountered the disciples. Do not fear, for you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Not the Lord gives peace or the Lord has peace or the Lord provides peace, but the Lord is actually peace. And to this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abishrites. This is the truth. Whenever Jesus shows up, he brings peace with him. You will not find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus shows up and peace does not come along with him. It is a principle of the character and attributes of God. If Jesus shows up, Peace is in the room. We talk about this. We sing the songs in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In the manger, Jesus shows up the manger. For us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Actually, peace is mentioned 430 times in the Bible. It's hard to read the Bible and not encounter the word peace almost any time you read it. You read it in the manger, in the flesh, John 16 and John 14. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with peace. Not like the peace of the world, but a peace that's supernatural indifferently from the world. After the resurrection, John 20 verse 19 says this on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Revelation 20, when Jesus comes back again, Revelation 20 is all about the peace that Jesus brings when he renews the earth and renews the creation in all the universe. Whenever Jesus shows up, peace is with him. Not because he has peace, not because he can give you peace, not because he can provide peace, but because he is actually peace. Like you can't separate peace and Jesus because the Lord is peace. Say it with me. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Like you can't separate it. 
If he's there, then peace is there. If his presence is here, it means peace is here. And in the scripture, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the angel over and over again. It's like the Bible wants us to pay attention to the words, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was sitting underneath the tree. The angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon. The angel of the Lord did this. And, and this is the truth of the matter. It's a theological term. I'm about to take you to theology 101. A Christophany, which is theophany, is a word that means God appears in some form or manifestation of God's presence. Christophany is this. It's a manifestation or appearance of Christ either before the incarnation or after the resurrection of Christ. So Christophany is this really fancy theological word that means Jesus shows up. See, so many times we believe that when Jesus is born in the manger, that's when the life and ministry of Jesus began. But you need to know that Jesus, his life did not begin in the manger. His life has always existed. The word was with God is God and has always been with God, and he created all things. So the, the Trinity has always existed in this unity between Father, Son, and Spirit. Always. It's never been Father and Spirit, and then Christmas happens, now it's Father, Spirit, and Son. The Son has always existed, and he's always been doing ministry. We just see Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, take on flesh and human form in the manger. But Jesus is active throughout all the Old Testament. In the scripture, anytime you see the word the angel of the Lord, it's a proper noun referring to the Messiah. So it shows that Jesus, before he took on human flesh, would come and incarnationally show up in situations in the Bible where God's people needed him to be there. In the scripture, the angel of the Lord, you could scratch it out and say, Jesus showed up underneath the terebinth tree. Now, now, why is that important to you? Because Gideon was at the lowest point of his entire life. He was worried. He was anxious. He was depressed. He was stressed. He was afraid. He was all those things. He was hiding in a hole in the ground. And at his lowest point, it's like he tried to go as low as he could go. And no matter how low he went, Jesus still showed up. Which tells me to tell you that no matter where you find yourself at, no matter how low you feel like your life has went, no matter how deep the ditch is you find yourself in, Jesus can still and will still show up in the deepest hole you can dig. Gideon's here in a wine press, and he's sitting there, and the angel of the Lord, Jesus incarnate, shows up. And when Jesus shows up, no matter if it's in a manger, it's at the end of time, if it's in heaven, when Jesus shows up in a wine press, when Jesus shows up in a hospital room, when Jesus shows up in a church, when Jesus shows up in your prayer closet, when Jesus shows up at a funeral, when Jesus shows up at a football game, peace is with him because the Lord is peace. What's crazy, though, is so many times I think we think of peace as this this foreign object that really doesn't exist, we just strive for it, and maybe we get glimpses of it, or maybe we get moments of peace. But that's not what Gideon found out. He said, the Lord is peace. And, and this 
young man went from literally hiding out to fighting foreign armies. He went from being stressed out and worried about having a loaf of bread to standing on a mountaintop tearing down the idols of Baal. See, peace is not a goal to achieve. It's a gift God gives us while we struggle. See, it's not something to do, think, well, you know, if I could just achieve this and do this, if I, if I could overcome this, if I can get this, then maybe I'll achieve peace. And we think peace is something that you get when you get out of the struggle. But peace is a gift God gives us in the middle of the struggle. It's what actually gets you through from being Gideon the scared guy to Gideon the mighty valiant warrior. See, peace is what moves us from being afraid to being courageous and confident. Peace is what moves us from worrying to having our minds set on the things of God. Peace is what moves us from running from God to running towards God. It's peace. And the word he actually uses in his scripture is shalom. He actually calls him Jehovah Shalom, which means whole, finished, fulfilled, or perfected. See, we're so think, we think peace means, oh, I'm absent of conflict. Well, can I tell you this? If that was the case, there ain't no such thing as peace here. As a matter of fact, he calls the Lord peace, then he goes directly into family dynamics and conflicts. He tears down his father's idols. Then he goes off to battle and war. So he says the Lord is peace, but then he experiences conflict immediately. So peace can't be an absent of conflict. Peace means it's finished before you ever started. Peace means it's fulfilled before you ever take your first step. Peace means it's perfected before you ever start walking out the process. See, when it says the Lord is peace, it means the Lord has finished what he's going to start. When it says the Lord is peace, it means he's complete and whole. It means that all things, all things, all things are going to work together for your good. You can have peace now because no matter how bad it is, you know in the future God's got it under control. doesn't mean there's no wars. It just, knows, it just means you know the war shall be victorious and overcome. And it doesn't mean a, to feel calm or to be free of conflict. It has to do with hold us in all of life. Shalom is multidimensional, complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. Meaning when he said the Lord is peace, he was saying... God loves me enough to show up in the wine press. God pursued me. God met me at my lowest point. He had found peace with God, which means his relationship was now made complete and perfected with God. And once that relationship is resolved, then all your other relationships can fall into place. But until that relationship is resolved and in peace, then all your other relationships are going to be in chaos and conflict all the time. So peace is this concept of God is the creator of the universe. He is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. And he's given you a promise. You can rest. Mentally, you could rest. Emotionally, you could rest. Physically, you can rest and go to sleep at night. And spiritually, you can rest because you know that you're on the same side as God. 
And if he is creator, if he is sovereign, if he's in charge, if he's in control, if he is Lord, if he's victorious and you're on his side, guess what? Everything is going to be all right. That's peace. That's why in the middle of conflict, God's people should be at the most peace than any other people on the earth because the presence of God lives on the inside of us. The presence of peace lives on the inside of us. We should have this steadying inside of us that all things are come. The only, I've looked for illustrations over and over again to describe peace, to describe shalom. And theologians, Hebrew scholars have looked for all types of illustrations to help communicate what is shalom, what is the peace of God really like. And I've yet to find one that I feel like actually demonstrates what shalom is. And the only thing close I could find was one scholar years ago said it this way. He said, when you read Revelation, and it starts talking about heaven and all the amazing things in heaven, it talks about this sea of glass. Probably heard people talk about this sea of glass. And so for years, when I, when I heard people talk about that, I thought it was like a, literally a sea of like crystal or like a mirror or like sea of glass. But this theologian, he said, no, no, it's not that. It's just the water is so perfectly still and calm. It looks like glass. He said, if you've ever gone out to the lake or a river or a pond early, early in the morning, before the winds come in, before the birds land, before the fish start getting active, and you see this water, and it's just perfectly calm, it's this perfect reflection of the sky. And he said, the reason for that, there's nothing to disrupt or agitate or move the water in any way. The water is not distressed in any way. He said, so when you see this sea of glass in heaven, it's a demonstration that the peace of God is never disrupted nor distressed. That it's so calm on the inside of you and on the presence of heaven. It's so calm that it's a perfect reflection of the glory of the Father. As he's looking down upon the water, you see a perfect reflection of the glory in the face of God. And so when you think about shalom, think about the inside of you. It doesn't have to be disrupted or distracted or disheveled. It doesn't have to be wandering this way and that way. It can be this perfect calm. Sunrise morning on the most beautiful lake you've ever seen. And it's your job to to protect that peace from stones of bitterness or stones of worry or stones of insecurity or stones of frustration from being thrown in and causing these ripples that disrupt your peace. Because what's amazing to me is Gideon in the story, Gideon was in the very presence of peace, but he had no clue. Do you realize like, this conversation is an argument actually between Gideon and Jesus? He starts talking to me. He said, well, 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 if you were, if the Lord was good, why all is this happening to us? Then he says, well, I'm the weakest of my clan, and I'm the smallest, I'm the least of this. And he's arguing. He's in the presence of peace, yet he doesn't have peace. My, my question would be, how many of us can be in the presence of peace and never experience peace? How many of us, because God's presence now is omnipresent, he's with us right now, he's with us in our cars, he's with us at school, he's with us on the roads, as, you know, 
Will Clater, one of our guitar players, was driving. I didn't know it was him behind me this morning. And on Middle Road, he passes me on a double yellow line <laughs> and goes like 80 down the street. And I had some thoughts in my mind. I thought, I'm going to get his tag number and call the cops. I'm going to follow this guy to see which church he goes to. And he pulled in a chapel. <laughs> like you can be in the middle of peace in your car but not have peace. And the reason for that is this. Peace is not on layaway. Peace is for you to receive. But Gideon did not understand the peace he had until he gave the gift to God. He said, hold on, let let me bring you something. If this is really you, let me bring you something. He goes, he kills a goat. He gets his last loaf of bread. He gets some broth. Even though this man was literally about to eat his bread and die, he gets whatever's left over. He sets it on the altar in front of the angel of the Lord. He says, I'm giving you this gift and presenting it to you. Then all of a sudden he said, whoa, the Lord is peace. See, I don't think you realize the Lord is peace until you empty your hands of all the stuff that's causing you anxiety, worry, and fear that you can actually receive what he wants to give you. Like, that's what a gift exchange is. I'm giving you something, and you're giving me something. I'm giving you my worries, my bitterness, my insecurities, my fears, and he gives us his peace. It is the best game of white elephant or dirty Santa you'll ever play. There's an exchange that has to take place. Like last year, Toya for Christmas got one of our girls a cricket. So if you know what a cricket is, it's a machine that prints off vinyl stickers that you can put on merchandise or T-shirts or coffee mugs. So it's a thing more for middle-aged soccer moms to make T-shirts with, but she gets it for her 15-year-old daughter at the time. She did not ask for it. You wanted it, so you bought it. So our daughter, this box stayed, uh, this thing stayed in the box next to our couch for months. And so finally, Arise like, Mom, I didn't get my Christmas gift because I'm not going to use it. Can we please take it back? So they try to take it back. They waited so long, there's a restocking fee. So Toya, I mean, Karen, I mean, Toya, I, I forgot. Karen says, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not paying a restocking fee so that cricket a whole year later is still sitting next to our couch. Why? Because she didn't make the exchange. See, if you hold on to something because you're afraid you're going to lose something or lose value, you can never get what's on the other side of the exchange. And so when it comes to God, yes, the things are free, but you can't receive the things of God with closed hands. You can't hold on to your personal identity. You can't hold on to your sin. You can't hold on to your shame. You'd have to open your hands up and lay it on the altar of God so that he can give you the righteousness of Christ, the peace of God which surpasses understanding. There's an exchange that must take place. And so Gideon did not understand the peace of God, until he laid everything he had on the altar of God. And there's three things I want to share with you that I believe that, that we all need to lay down, that we see Gideon lay down. Three things Gideon was dealing with. He was dealing with worry. He was hiding in a wine press, making but he was worried to death. He was bitter, and he was insecure. And so my question for you would be, what do you need to lay down 
in your life to realize the peace of God. For this Christmas, if the, if the Prince, of peace, Prince of Peace has come, we're celebrating the Prince of Peace has come. We're celebrating the Prince of Peace. What do you need to lay down in order to experience and realize the peace that surpasses all understanding? The first thing I think you need to lay down, if you want peace, you got to lay down your need to control things outside of your control. Like Gideon was so worried about all the things outside of his control. He's so worried about the Midianites and the Hebrews, his forefathers, all these things. He's in his wine press and he's trying to control all these things. And I will tell you, the higher your need for control, the higher your level of anxiety will be. It's a principle. Remember the movie Zorro? Zorro was this, Alejandro was this drunk guy who was going from town to town, um, I think D. Ortega found him and saw himself some potential in him. And when he started to train Zorro to be the swashbuckler sword fighter guy, he drew this circle in the ground in this cave. He told Zorro, he said, this is your world. When you can control everything inside this circle, then we'll extend the circle and give you more. Meaning, if you're faithful with little, maybe I can trust you with a lot more. And so the Zorro principle is this. I feel like Gideon being in his wine press with this circle, and God was almost saying, listen, when you can start to control the things inside this circle, maybe we can talk about the Midianites. But until you can deal with you, we don't need to be dealing with nobody else. And so if you want to have peace, you got to realize you can't control anybody else or anything else except for yourself. Actually, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self control. The fruit of the Spirit is not you controlling your kids or you controlling your wife or you controlling Will Clayton when he's driving 85 miles an hour in the 35 zone. Like, we think fruit of the Spirit is just control everybody and everything and everything will be okay. That's what the law was. It doesn't work. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You know what another fruit of the Spirit is? Peace. So I think the greater you relinquish control of everything outside of you, And the more you can control yourself, the more peace you'll experience. And I think the reason we experience so little peace is because most of us are what we call, in biblical language, control freaks. We want to control everything. We want to control everybody. We want to control the situation. We want to control the news. We want to control the world epidemic, the world pandemic, the world wars. We want to control everything and the outcome. And we wonder why we're the most anxious generation to ever exist. Maybe if we just went back to a little bitty wine press, maybe for you it's your prayer closet, maybe for you it's your bedroom, maybe for you it's your pew, and you just said, I'm going to draw this circle. And I can't control everything out there. I can't control everybody out there, but I can control what happens in this circle. And if I can just control what happens in this circle, I can control my thought life, maybe I can control my my behaviors, maybe I can control my actions, maybe I can control my language, maybe I can control my tongue, maybe if I control this, then I'll experience peace. And I'll tell you, it's probably true. Because we have this thing called the serenity prayer. Anybody heard the serenity prayer before? If you've been through 12 steps, this was God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. If you just get that prayer down, your peace level skyrockets. Lord, help me 
to have the wisdom to know the things I cannot change. I cannot control my teenage kids. I can beat them. We've been beating them for years. It didn't work. I can't control my adult daughter. I can't control my wife. I can't control the church. I, I learned years ago that leadership's not about control. It's about influence. And I see pastors stressed out, anxious, all the time, because they're trying to control everything that happens in their church or their service. And me, I'm the opposite. Just give it away. Let people lead. Let God do what he wants, what he wants to do. And I'm going to rest in it. Because I cannot change. I cannot control all that. But also give me the courage to change the things I can. There's things about me I can change. And when I know what those are, I can walk in peace. When we put our problems in God's hands, he puts his peace in our hearts. Meaning anything outside this circle, God, it's yours. Every problem I have that's outside of me, it's yours. Every issue I have outside of me, it's yours. And when you give God those problems, he gives peace in your hearts. Because again, peace is not no struggles or no, no issues. Peace is knowing that the God of the universe is going to work all things out to your good. But the second thing Gideon was dealing with, if you want peace, you got to lay down your bitterness. And Gideon was one bitter dude. This guy, the Lord showed up. The angel of God shows up and he starts complaining. Oh, if God is good, then why is all this happening? Why well, we heard our forefathers talk about all this stuff that God has done, but we're not seeing any of it yet. He's complaining. He's bitter. He's bitter. He's bitter. And he's not just bitter at other people. He's actually bitter at God. And you can't experience peace as you're holding on to bitterness. And so just to help you understand, here's some symptoms of bitter people, not you, because we're never bitter. It's always those other people. But those other people, this is how you spot those other bitter people. One, they always avoid positive people. Because bitter people don't want to be provoked by joy in somebody else. So they avoid people that are moving in the right direction. They avoid people who have discipline, who are passionate about other things. Two, they are jealous and they don't celebrate others. If you want to know who the bitter people are in your life, when you have something to celebrate and they're not celebrating, they're bitter. Three, they're judgmental and cynical. No matter how good it's going, they can always find a problem with every solution. Judas, sitting with Jesus and Lazarus, Mary anoints his feet. He's in the middle of a miracle. Lazarus was dead the day before. Judas is sitting there. Mary's pouring out her amazing offering on the feet of Jesus. And Judas, well, yeah, but you know, we could have used this money to help feed the poor. He was bitter and cynical. They played the blame game and the victim. No matter what's going on, it's always somebody else's fault, and they have no choice in what's happening to them. Like with RJ, I tell him, I said, like, do you come up with these excuses on your own, or do you just keep some in your pocket? Like, like people who are bitter, it's always an excuse for why they're not moving the right direction, and they hold grudges. And so when you're bitter, you can never experience peace and bitterness at the same time. They're two different tastes. And so when people are bitter, you have to realize that when you are bitter, you're holding on to an offense and you've locked yourself in prison while everybody else is free. 
Like they're not thinking about what they did to you. They're not thinking about all the things that happened in the past. They are living your life and you are sitting in here sulking in bitterness. And you cannot understand the peace of God while you hold on to the offenses of other people. It's impossible. Matthew 18 is so clear that you cannot receive forgiveness until you give forgiveness. It is so clear. But with that, it's hard to forgive people. And the way to forgive people is this. Forgiveness is not a matter of emotions. It's a matter of the will. And so many times we'll deal with people at the altar where they'll say, I just don't feel like I've forgiven them yet. And we'll just stop because forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. Make a decision to forgive them. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But I do know Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, he can't forgive you. And nothing they did to you is worse than what we did to God. Make a decision to forgive them. Write it down in your Bible. I forgave John Doe. I forgave Will Clater on 12, 5, 21. <laughs> then two, depend on God's love and forgiveness of you to be your strength and love to forgive others. What that means is I can't forgive some people for what they did to me in my life on my own. But when I compare what they did to me and what I did to God, and I compare the mercy God has shown me, I have no choice but to show mercy to others. I give mercy because I'm shown mercy. I let that be my strength. Three, pray for them. Every day if you need to, God bless them. God bless their ministry. God bless their marriage. God bless their kids. God bless their business. God just bless them. Open up the windows of heaven. And listen, I'll, um, I'll be honest. When you first start praying for people that you're trying to forgive, it's going to be, I can't say that. It's going to be terrible. Because you're actually asking the God of the universe to bless somebody who's cursed you. But let me tell you, anybody can bless those who bless them. It takes the grace of God to bless people that have cursed you. And then love like you've never been hurt. You can't truly be forgiven or, or forgive somebody while you're living in isolation, afraid to get hurt again. Like to forgive somebody doesn't always mean reconciliation, but you do move forward in your life with freedom, not with the bondage of the past. And then finally, repeat as needed. Repeat it every day. Every day, if you need a change, repeat it over and over and over again. Because as we pour out bitterness, God pours in peace. As I pour out my offenses, God pours in his grace. And then finally, oh, Gideon, he said this. Well, God, I know you want me this mighty man of God, this valiant warrior. I know you want me to do this. But I'm from the smallest clan in Manasseh. I'm actually the weakest and least of my clan. So let me get this straight, Gideon. The angel of the Lord is showing up to you and telling you, I got you. He's telling you, you're going to be this great man of God, and you're going to accomplish these great feats, but your response is, well, I'm the smallest and I'm the weakest. See, you can't experience the peace of God, especially the inner peace that we're all seeking, until you lay down your insecurities. Gideon was so insecure that when the word of God was coming from the man of God himself, he could not realize it. And I want to encourage you that I believe God speaks, I know Gideon's a particular, specific story in the Bible, 
But I believe God speaks over all of us. He speaks blessings and not curses. He speaks to edify and build us up. He speaks to bring you up out of the pit and to encourage you and to strengthen your inner man. He calls you up. He speaks over you as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a minister, as a business. He's speaking. God is always speaking. But you can't hear him when you keep complaining about your insecurities to him. Like, could you imagine how much God could do through a group of people who laid down their insecurities at the feet of Jesus? Could you imagine the amount of people that would get saved because we laid down our insecurities and our pride and began sharing the gospel with people with no insecurities? Like, it'd be game-changing. Game-changing. And what's an insecurity? Insecurity is self-doubt or lack of confidence or you know, you're looking more at the past than you are the future. And Gideon's full of, he's full of self-doubt. And he's complaining, God, you know, I, I believe your word, but how can you accomplish your word through me? And see, some of the signs of insecurity is this, constantly belittling themselves. Maybe for you, no matter who gives you a compliment, you just go back to self-deprecation. Well, you know, little old me, you know, da, da, da. comparing yourself to others. We look at what others have and you don't have, and so now you're insecure. Maybe you become jealous because you don't have what they have, and it's all out of insecurity, a lack of confidence. Guarded in relationships. You can't experience community because you're so guarded, because you're so insecure. You think if somebody sees your insecurities, they'll think less of you, but it wasn't with God. When God saw Gideon's insecurities, he actually fulfilled it by saying, I will be with you. Having a deep need for the approval of others. Always trying to prove yourself and value and show your value to other people. And you stretch the truth to make yourself more powerful. See, insecurity will rob you of the power and identity God has in store for you. And I call it the power of the third word, I am blank. I mean, I think we all have something we put in that blank, I am blank. For, for Gideon, it was I am from the smallest clan of Manasseh. I am the least of my family. I am just little old me. Maybe for you, you say, well, I'm just an old alcoholic. Maybe for you, it's, well, I'm just, I'm just an old whatever your term is. I'm just an old failure. I'm an old mistake. I, I'm just this. I'm just that. See, what's so important about that third word is many times they are self fulfilling prophecies. What you speak over your life tends to be what you live out in your life. And Gideon's so full of insecurities that he's speaking the opposite direction that God is speaking. He's saying, I'm the weakest and I'm the least. And God is saying, no, you're a mighty man of God. You have to make sure your language and God's language come into congruency and agreement together. So God says, whoa, whoa, I understand you're in scripture, but listen, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you. See, your weakness becomes your strength when you lay it down at the feet of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you don't have any strengths until they're laid down at the feet of Jesus. We live in a Christendom where we elevate people's gifts and their strengths. God doesn't care about your gifts and their strengths. He cares about your weaknesses. Watch Manisa this way. 
This one guy in China said, man, this business guy, he's a great communicator, great business leader. He said, just think if he would get saved, how much good he could do. And watch my niece said, yeah, but don't you think it brings God more glory? He takes that man who has no gifts, no strengths, no business, no communication skills, and he gets saved, and God equips or changes his weakness into strength. See, that's how God, God doesn't take the things of the world that are great and, and make them better. He takes the things that are weak and small and makes them mighty. See, he takes our insecurities. When you openly take them and you lay them down, God says, now I can give you strength where you used to be weak, for my grace is sufficient for your weakness. Like for me, like I don't feel like I'm a great preacher, or communicator. I feel like I'm, I'm okay. But when I first started, we were with our friends in Nashville. We were friends with them for, man, it feels like almost 20 years now, 15, 20 years. And Ben said, man, remember that first time you preached? And this is Ben Suggs' talk. He says, you sucked. And I was like, yeah, I did. Like, I, I'd never, I didn't grow up in a home where, like, proper language was used. It wasn't an educational home. It was just get by and get through. Then I get saved. They're like, hey, do this. I'm like, oh, like, I've never done this before. My first time doing the announcements, I stuttered through the whole thing. And I was almost, the people were laughing at me. Just reading the bulletin. Then my first time to preach, they, they were thinking, all I've heard him do is the bulletin, and he was terrible. Then I preached, and it was terrible. But I had to take my pride and lay it at the feet of Jesus. I had to take my weakness and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, whatever you want to do, use it as you will. And only then did I find peace about my calling and myself. Peace is in the room but you're not going to experience it until you lay down the things that steal your peace. When you lay them down, then you can realize Gideon was right. The Lord is peace. It's an old prayer model. I want you to stand to your feet as you would. If I can have the prayer team come up too as well. There's this old prayer. It's just a simple, simple prayer. It's like a, actually a lot of the Puritans believed that there was something with the body and the spirit that were connected together. And the prayer is like this. They would pray with their hands open and palms down to symbolize saying, God, I'm letting go and I'm laying down blank. I'm laying down the person I need to forgive. I'm laying down my insecurities. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of, Lord, I'm laying down my worries. I'm worried about, I'm laying those things. And they would pray open-handed. Then they would flip them over and say, God, now I receive whatever you have in store for me. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. I want you to take your palms. I want you to hold them out, palms down over the ground. I want you to just begin letting go of whatever it may be. Maybe like getting, maybe it's worry. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's insecurity. Just, Lord, we thank you so much that we can trust you to lay down everything we have at your feet. Just like with Gideon, Father, the last thing he had, he was trusting you with laying it at your feet, knowing you can provide more than he'd ever accomplished in his life before. So, Father, right now we lay down our worries. Father, worries about our children, about our finances, about our country, about our community. We lay down our worries about our jobs or our careers. Father, we lay down our worries at your feet.
Father, we lay down bitterness. Father, we forgive those. We mention the names of them right now. Father, we're letting go. We're not holding on to offense. We're not holding on to bitterness. Father, we're living open-handed. Father, we release them and trust the fact that you can accomplish more through their lives than we can holding on to the offenses. Father, right now we lay down our insecurities. Father, our pride, our self-doubt, our lack of self-confidence, our identities in anything other than you, we lay them down right now at your feet. Now flip your hands over with your palms up. And Father, right now we realize that you are peace. Peace is not just a gift you give. It's not a goal to accomplish. It's the very presence of Jesus himself. And so, Father, as we stand here with our palms open, hands open, holding on to nothing, I pray that you fill our hands and our lives with a peace of God that surpasses understanding, that you fill our lives with a joy that becomes our strength, that you fill our lives with hope everlasting, that you fill our lives with unconditional love, and you fill our lives and our hands with the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Jesus. Father, we stand here open-handed, willing and ready and expectant to receive everything that you want to place in our hands. Father, much like Gideon, from this place, we pray for victory. We pray for faith. We pray for courage. We pray for strength. And Father, above all, we pray that you receive glory through everything in our lives. In Jesus' name.